Tonight, if you'll take your Bible and turn with me for our Bible study, I'd like you to turn to the book of Psalms, chapter number two. Psalms chapter number two. I'll begin reading at Psalms two and verse number one. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Listen carefully to the phrasing. Why do the heathen rage? And why do the people imagine a vain thing? The raging and the vanity of their thoughts. Number two, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together, uh-oh, against the Lord and against his anointed. That's the Messiah, the Christ. Then the, the third verse says, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. In other words, we don't want to be restrained. We don't want to be controlled. We don't want to be disciplined. We don't want to be managed in any way. We want to do what we want to do. Okay? Look at verse number four. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. And the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. I'm going to stop there for a moment and we're going to pray. And then I want to talk to you about the coming rage. R-A-G-E. The coming rage. Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the privilege we have of studying your holy word. Thank you that you are a very present help in the time of need. Thank you that you've given us the written word for the day and hour that we're living in. And thank you, Father, that we have a church and a place of safety and fellowship that we can read together, we can study together, we can pray together, we can praise you together and know that this is not the end, but only a temporary place until you come to take us home. Bless the reading of your word and bless these thy people and we'll give you praise. And all God's people said, the coming rage Rage is not a new element. It's mentioned here in the word of God, why do the heathen rage? Why, what's provoking them? Why are they at this state of mind or this fixation in their mind that they respond with what we would call a temper tantrum, a rage, uncontrolled behavior? Satan, the wicked one, has always raged against God. Pastor Winston this morning beautifully put together what the problem is. It's not a Republican problem or a Democrat problem or an independent voters problem. The problem is that all of these men and women have fallen natures. And if they've not been saved by the grace of God, then they are going to be a seed of darkness 
and they're going to be actually provoking men and women to do more evil than they did yesterday. That there will be an increasing of that wickedness in the land. Darkness is always raged against the holy light of the Son of God. Think about it for just a moment. When God removed Lucifer and the fallen angels from heaven, when the sin originally was carried out of pride, when Lucifer said, I don't want to be God. No, I'm not interested in being God, but just I'm doing all the work. I'm bringing everybody together. There's not going to be any praise in heaven unless I do it. So I don't want to be God. I don't want to be in charge of everything, but I do want to be recognized for my hard work. Put my throne just a little higher than God's throne. And when God judged that original sin of pride and when God cast him and one third of the angels that went with him out of heaven, Lucifer raged and he's been raging ever since. The anger and the frustration that his plan did not work. When corruption walked into Joseph's tomb there in Jerusalem, hours after the crucifixion, corruption went to carry out his command to accelerate the deterioration of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. When corruption walked into that tomb, it did not smell like a grave. It did not have the aroma of death. But in that grave was the fragrance that then caused corruption to rage because corruption did not smell the odor or the aroma of death, but it was more like the fragrance of a heavenly perfume the rose of Sharon, or the lily of the valley. Corruption was repulsed by that odor, that aroma, and he raged against God. When Jesus invaded hell and he focused on the devil, when he actually forced him into the smutty walls of hell and backed him into the corner and the devil knew that he had to face the son of God. The devil raged along with the demonic hordes of hell at the invader of heaven had walked into the darkness of the dungeon. When the son of God twisted the keys of death, twisted the key of hell and twisted the key of the grave from the devil's hand, Satan raged because the power had been transferred. No longer would the devil be in charge of death, hell, and the grave. That's now been changed. New ownership, new hands, and new power. And since that day, hell has raged. The Bible says that the rage against God is not over. The Bible says that there's more rage coming. The Bible says that men will rage against God at the battle of Gog and Magog. That there will be a war raging 
and it will bring mankind with his armies and weapons as they begin to move against the little nation of Israel. And once the Antichrist begins to maneuver and to manipulate the leaders of the world, he will be convinced that the power is his. And the princes of this world will move together in consolidated force. But they will encounter the hand of God and the providence of God and the sovereignty of God. And they will rage that their plans fell apart. The world will rage against God at the battle of Armageddon. Not only will there be political power on that day, but on that day, military might will be brought to bear. The latest technology, the latest weaponry, the latest missiles, the latest lasers, all of that will come rumbling into the valley of Jezreel, preparing for a great battle against Almighty God. But Jesus will just speak. No cannon, no bomb, no missile or no laser. Just the holy word out of the holy mouth of a holy God as he intersects evil at its very epitome and Satan will rage at the battle of Armageddon. The Bible says that the blood will flow to the horse's bridle. The nations of the world will rage against God as the Antichrist rises in power, presuming to be in charge. And now, ladies and gentlemen, in your lifetime and in my lifetime, we have now witnessed things that we never dreamed we would see in our land, in our lifetime, in our country, in our community. We never imagined. It was something out front. But a few weeks ago, as I was studying at night, I called to awaken Pastor Winston and before I could dial his number, my phone rang and he said, I hope you're awake. And I said, I can't sleep. And he said, I can't sleep. And I said, Winston, just grab the Bible, look at it. It's not going to happen. It is happening. It's not going to take place. It is taking place. And Operation Skywatch was born and in a matter of hours, we boarded planes and went to country after country to document Matthew chapter 24, that it is not going to happen, that the world is already raging. It is already fomenting its assault and rebellion against the holy God. And we have been gifted by God to be alive in this day and this hour. If you'd stood with a holy God in the dateless past and said, God, I want to pick when I get to live. I want to pick when I'm alive. Well, you could not pick a more exciting time to be alive on planet earth than the day before his son comes back. The day before when men's hearts are failing them for fear. And yet God loved me enough to be on the welcoming committee for the sounding of the trumpet. 
in the moment when the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together. God loved you enough and God loved me enough to be at this exciting time as a Bible believer. You see, that spirit of the Antichrist, it's now raging in the hearts of men. And what is that raging? It says, why do the heathen rage? Why do the people imagine a vain thing? It was vanity for the devil to think he could conquer God. It was vanity for corruption to think he could hold him in the grave. It was vanity for him to think that Lucifer could to think that he could control the keys of death, hell, and the grave. That's vanity. There's no power greater than the power of Almighty God. There's no force any stronger than the power of Almighty God. But the vanity of that and the vanity that now invades the human heart and the human mind as the spirit of Antichrist rages in the hearts of men. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23 is a supporting text that goes along with this text in chapter two of Psalms. It says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. God said that when there's something in my nature or your nature or in the nature of a culture, a civilization, a family, a group of people, and they just want to rebel. They just, just don't tell me what to do. I wonder what invades the hearts of our little toddlers when they're two and three years old. Where did that come from? When they learn to say, no. No, I'm not going to do it. Where did that come from? It's surely not the mother or the father. They're precious. But, but where is that? Where is that energy? You see, we're born with a fallen nature. We're born with a depraved nature. And the older we get, if there's no restraint, if there's no control, that nature begins to say no a little louder begins to say, no, I will not stronger because there's no controlling factor. Because when you are saved, when you become a Bible believer, when you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you do? You invite the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart. And what does he do? He sets up new management. He takes that, that sign out of the front yard and where it says that this is where the devil lives. And he throws that away and puts in a new sign, new owner, new control factor. This property belongs to the Lamb of God. It's been saved. It's been changed. That's why we call it in church talk being what? Born again. Because when you were born the first time, you were so innocent and you were so pure and you were just without any animosity or evil or wickedness or any corruption. And so when you become born again, 
God takes all of those wicked things and bad things and he pulls them out and he covers them with the blood of his own darling son and you are born again. He's in the rage removing business. He takes out that animosity, that desire for you to go against God. And now you want to be with God because that rebellion we read about in 1 Samuel 15, it is related to, it is a part of being one that worships Lucifer. Watch this carefully. Pay attention. If the Holy Spirit of God is here and the Holy Spirit of God is dealing with me and God, the Holy Spirit is talking to me saying this is the way, walk you in it. Be a part. And I either bow down and I surrender myself to the way of God, the will of God, the work of God, right? But what if I turn my back to that call, that will, that way, and I'm rebelling? Then who would be out here wanting me to rebel against God? Who, who, would, who would be saying, that's the right thing to do, Ralph? Rebel against God. Rage against God. Rage against the Bible. Rage against the rules and regulation. Rage against church. Find all the faults you can. Who would be encouraging me to do that? Would it be God the Father? Would it be God the Son? Would it be God the Holy Ghost? No, no, no. The only one that would find advantage of me turning my back on God would be the evil one, the wicked one. And God says, when you know to do good and you don't do good, you are rebelling against this same God. We know to pray and we don't pray. We know to read and we don't read. We know to witness and we don't witness. And God say, if we want revival, we've got to figure out where it needs to start. And right here is where it needs to start. It's not my brother or my sister, but it's me. It's me, oh Lord. Do something with my rebellious nature. And no matter how long you've been saved, there's just something inside that fallen flesh that wants to have its way. Can we all acknowledge that in honesty tonight? It's just us. We're just people. The coming rage is the rage of the depraved heart. Recently, I visited a major university here in the South. I had two or three hours between events on campus. So I began to walk and to look and read signs and posters. And then I got to reading graffiti and, and looking at spray art from this college campus of thousands and thousands of students. And I was wondering if I would pick up on a common theme. What's the generation thinking? What's this college environment about? And as I walked and made mental notes and I noticed different things and some vulgar and some profane, some happy and sunflowers and joy and painting. 
But I did find one thing that was under the underpass that was in the walkway, was in the breezeways of some of the buildings. It was under the, the uh, tunnels and some of the entrances to the building. I found one common word. It tied it all together. It was this word, ungovernable. Be ungovernable. Become ungovernable. And I began to think about that word. What, what is the declaration? What is the bonding of, of saying, I don't want to be governed. I don't want to be controlled. I need to be ungoverned. I need to be uncontrollable. I, I, I struggle with that, but I, I made those notes. Actually, when I got home that night, I wrote it down in some notes to do some more research. And this word came up again and again. I did go to the trouble to look it up to see how it was defined by secular definition, ungovernable. It means impossible, listen to the word, impossible to control. Impossible to govern. And then I backed away from that definition and I walked out on the deck and I thought, impossible to control. Impossible to, give, to govern. Are we talking about like the, the man in the tombs at the Gadarenes? He was impossible to control. You couldn't control him. Well, they tried ropes and chains. Couldn't control him. You couldn't govern him. You couldn't tell him what to do. He wasn't going to listen to your counsel or to your advice. He had become ungovernable. The word is associated with anarchy. It's associated with rebellion or revolution. And yesterday, all across America, there were rallies for abortion. Rallies that made signs that said, my body, my choice. And I thought, this is the same group that was just telling me that it was my body, but I had to get a vaccine. It's the same group that said it's my body, but I had to wear a mask. It was the same group that said I had to be quarantined. The same group that said I had to be isolated. And I'm not diminishing in any way the seriousness of COVID. That's not my point. My point is how hypocritical it is to use that argument. My body, my choice. It's not your body, by the way. It's God's body. He's the one that gave you that little baby. That's his baby. That's not your baby. That's God's baby. And that life belongs to a holy God. That's a gift from God. And your life was a gift from God. And I listened to the keynote speaker. I'd taped the, the event because they were all over. But the mother event for this was in Washington, D.C. 
And the, the speaker charged the thousands that turned out there in Washington, D.C. yesterday. And I don't know if you had a chance to view the news or to uh, look online at some of the headlines or to pick up a newspaper, uh, the New York Times, the Washington Post or anything today. But here's what the headlines declare. That the proclamation went out that this shall be the summer of rage. The summer of rage, not the summer of joy, not the summer of finally we're out of COVID and we're going to be back to happiness and we can have a picnic and be with family and go to, no, 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 no. No, the call and the clarion cry that was emanating from the nation's capital yesterday was, let's have a summer of rage until we get what we want. Then we begin to hear the speaker say, I am ungovernable. She kept using that word over and over. We will be ungovernable. We will be out of control. No one can tell us what to do. We're going to take America over this summer. We're going to get what we want. It's a summer of rage. Does it matter that God said that abortion is wrong? Does it matter that God said that we should not kill? Does it matter that God said that this is sin and wickedness? No, we're gonna do what we want to do. And since Roe versus Wade went in the past 50 years, we've had over 51 million babies aborted. 51 million you know why they're leaving the southern border open? Has anyone told you? Because they need the tax base of workers. They can't pay the social security debt of this nation. They can't pay the retirement base of this nation. They can't pay for Medicare and Medicaid. So the only way to write the checks every month, we bring in some more workers and put them on the payroll and collect the taxes. California just pulled it off. They had the biggest tax increase. They've ever had $97 billion in surplus this year because of the flood, because we aborted our workers. We aborted our children. I, I often wondered, I wonder if we aborted the little mind that would have the cure for cancer. I mean, did we abort the next Billy Graham? I, I wonder. Or, or the next Beethoven? Or the next Picasso? Are we depriving a generation? 50 million, over a million babies a year are murdered in this country. And I have news for you. They can talk about rage they, all they want to. You wait till God balances the payday and says, you will answer for 50 million babies in this country. God will visit us with a mighty power and a mighty judgment. If God doesn't deal with America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. There's no difference in their sins and our sins. The rage it's not what I think is right, but it's from a fallen heart and a fallen nature. I do what I want 
Nobody will tell me what to do. No God or government. I am ungovernable. The word of God declares that there will be people with that thought process and there will be countries and groups that have that thought process. But God said in his word that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our society and our country is not the first one to move away from God. It saddens me, it breaks my heart. We're, we're not the Saturday evening post anymore. We're not Norman Rockwell anymore. We're not that innocent age of America when it was a wonderful place to raise your children and uh, go to church and go to Little League and end up at the Dairy Queen with ice cream and to have cookouts in the backyard. We've lost a lot of that innocence. The mission of Trinity Baptist Church is we're building back the family base. We're building back with the children, the teenagers and the young adults. We're building back that home element. We're building back that place that you can have a refuge for your children and you can have activities for your children and you can have the fellowship together. That's part of our mission statement. This summer of rage that they declared yesterday I thought about that scripture, why do the heathen rage? Why is this? You see, all through the Bible, we have people that have stood up against God and they have raged against God. Think about Nimrod. Nimrod raged against God. He was a rebel. And the Antichrist that's coming He's going to have that same spirit. He's going to have the spirit of Nimrod. He's going to be a rebel. What about Saul? What about Saul when he raged against God? Saul was the people's choice. They wanted a king. They wanted to have a king. God didn't want them to have a king. God wanted them to have him as Lord, of, Lord and King of Kings. But they kept saying they wanted a king, so they got a king. They got Saul. He was a people's choice. And when this Antichrist comes on the scene, he's going to be popular. There was a minister down in eastern North Carolina that made a statement uh, that Ralph Sexton said that uh, Mr. Zelensky, the president of uh, Ukraine, is the Antichrist. I did not say that, but I said the Bible is full of types and shadows. And if you study today's world, you will see types and shadows and four types of how quickly someone can come on the scene like Mr. Zelensky that was a comedian a couple of years ago and now he's addressed more parliaments, more congresses, more princes, more presidents, and more prime ministers than any living human being on planet Earth. How did that happen? It's showing you and me how quickly the world can change. That we can see how fast an antichrist can appear. A Saul, a people's choice. What about Absalom? What about Absalom, the son of David? Do you know that Absalom's name 
actually means the father of peace. If you study his name in Hebrew, that's his name, the father of peace. But you know what Absalom was? He was a false peace. And that's what the Antichrist will do when he appears. He will be a false peace. The Bible says for three and a half years during the tribulation, there'll be a false peace. There will be a, a, a false time on planet earth before the abomination will take place in Jerusalem. The fourth one that's a type is Nebuchadnezzar. And he not only raged against God, he not only rebelled against God, he was the first world ruler, was Nebuchadnezzar. And he became a forerunner of the last world ruler, which will be the Antichrist. So as I said at the very beginning, we are blessed and uh, we are very, very fortunate to be alive in this day, in this hour, and to have the written, inerrant, infallible word of God that we can see all of these events coming and know that this is pre-recorded history, that everything that's happened is in the word of God and we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be worried about what is coming. You see, if I know this book, then I, I know about God. If you're making notes, there's three attributes of God that you need for this hour of rage. You need to know and find comfort in these three attributes of God. Number one is God is omnipresent. They're not going to hide from this God. And they're not going to hide their backroom deals from God. He's omnipresent. The thing they thought was hidden, it's going to come to light. It's going to be revealed. Secondly, we know that God is omniscient. That means power. He's got all power. So I don't have to be intimidated or afraid for this day and hour that I'm living in because my God has got the power. And then we also know uh, omniscient having to do with his knowledge and knowledge of all things. And then number three, that he's omnipotent with his power and his authority that he brings it all together, that we see who God is. But not only do we have these three great attributes, but there are three great kingdoms, if you're making notes, that you could write down. I know some of you are wanting us to go back into that study of the numbers and how they are the unlocking mechanism for the prophecy of the last days, and we will do that. But let me give you three great kingdoms that you're gonna see experience this attack of rage. Nature, nature. They're already saying that they can't figure out what's happened to nature, that it's out of control. The Bible says that I can figure it out. The Bible says that it's groaning because of the sin burden that's on it. That nature's gonna be changing because of that sin burden. That's the first kingdom. The second kingdom is the kingdom of grace. I'm living in that kingdom of grace. You're living in that kingdom of grace. We were dead, but now we're alive. And then the third kingdom that the devil doesn't want you to be a part of is that glory, the kingdom of glory that's coming, that we shall be together with him forever and ever. How do we connect all these dots? How do we bring them all together? Well, the Bible says that we are made in the likeness of God. The book of Genesis says that we were created in his likeness. 
Well, what likeness were we created in? The likeness of number one, God the Father. Number two, God the Son. And number three, God the Holy Ghost. You say, do we have three gods? No, we have one God demonstrated with three distinct personalities. And into that likeness was I created. Well then, what does that make me then? What does that make you? That makes you a triune being. If I'm created in the likeness of God and God is supreme and all powerful and he has three personalities, then I'm created in his likeness and I have three distinct personalities. I have the body, which you see. I have the soul, which you cannot see. And I have the spirit, which you cannot see. Body, soul, and spirit. And so the body represents the Lord Jesus Christ in the Godhead. And the soul, it represents the, the feeling or the emotion or the working of the Holy Spirit in the human body. And the spirit, that's the giver of life. That's the part that God's upset about when we take the life of a child is that's the gift of God. That's the life, the spirit. So you are made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Now, man lives on planet earth and we're surrounded by three heavens. So not only am I here, body, soul, and spirit, not only am I in the image of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but God then placed me in three heavens. First heaven, that's the earth and the atmosphere I breathe. That's the air that the birds fly in and the planes fly in. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is the stellar kingdom. That's the stars and the planets. That's the second heaven. And then the third heaven that God gave us is where he resides. That's the holy place, the place of a holy God. So I'm a triune being in a triune world in the image of a triune God. And God said, I don't have to be afraid of the rage because God has prepared me. Isaiah chapter six and verse number three, he said, not only am I prepared, but I am encapsulated in a God who is the Lord of hosts and he's the holy one, holy two, holy three, Lord of hosts, Isaiah 6, 3. He said, not only is he a holy Lord God Almighty, he's a holy son, God Almighty. He's a holy, holy spirit, Lord God Almighty. That this is a holy God for a people that have been redeemed by the royal red blood of the holy savior that you can walk in faith and joy by your being dwelt with the Holy Spirit of God and live in victory for this day and this hour but he stuck me in an element that I don't necessarily like. He put me in the element of time. A triune God and a triune earth with a triune atmosphere. But where did he put me? He put me inside of time. God's outside of time. If this represents the beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then here comes time, 2,000, 6,000 years, 7,000. We're coming into the end of the millennium, new heavens and new earth, right? And then the angel of God will put one foot on earth and one foot on the sea and make a declaration that time shall what? Be 
time shall be no more. So obviously time had a beginning, but time is going to have an ending. So where's God today? Well, God's up here. He's outside of time. I'm stuck in time. You're stuck in time. What kind of time? Oh, it's three, two. Not only am I in a triune being in a triune world with a triune God created in his threefold image, but I am locked up in the past, the present, and the future. That's how we interpret time. It's in three. So God, that you would be able to see the hand of God, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 8, it says that not only are you locked up in time, but you've got three witnesses to the raging of the world and the enemy of God raging against his word. But you can be comforted by the fact that you have three witnesses that know who you are. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 8, that the spirit, number one, number two, the water, and number three, the blood, bear witness that I am a child of God and I have been redeemed by God. The Bible says in Revelation chapter number 12 that there was a war in heaven, that that raging continued the assault until the devil's gonna be bound hand and foot and cast into the lake of fire for time and eternity. There'll be a raging of the evil one. There'll be a war going on in this universe. Ephesians chapter six and verse 12 said, if you're stuck in this past, present, and future time, if you're living in these three elements of first heaven, second heaven, and third heaven, and if you're walking in created in the image of a triune God with a body, soul, and spirit, you need to know that you're at a war and you're wrestling against things you can't see. And so he said in Ephesians 6 and 12 that we should put on the whole armor of God, that we should be able to stand because we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world. Here it comes, against spiritual wickedness, where? High places. We might ought to pay attention to that scripture because it's gonna be coming to focus and into the limelight more and more as we approach the coming of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 12 is referring to the fact that there is a holy trinity, a holy God the Father, a holy God the Son, and a holy God the Holy Spirit. Never forget that Ephesians 6 just pointed out for us that the unholy rages against God every single day. That's what Ephesians 6, 12, you wrestle not. There's a raging... Who, who wrestles? Who grabs you? Who wants to fight? That's a rage. The enemy of your soul is, is wanting to bring you down. It, it, it's a rage. It, it, it's not something on TV that's fake or entertainment. It's a raging that wants you to fall from grace, to keep you from serving God, to give up, to not witness, to not share your faith to turn your back on God if you could even lose your salvation. And that war is raging. That raging takes place there in Ephesians 6. And why is it? Because there's a raging against the holy by the unholy. 
and the raging is the three again, devil, the beast, and the false prophet. And those are the three that rage against the Trinity that's holy. He abides in us and we abide in him. In this era of darkness and depravity, our only defense is the Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus Christ, through the gift of his eternal life, by his own precious blood, that's what's gonna keep me. Have you ever gotten such a spiritual battle, such a spiritual war that you didn't even know how to pray and you just say, I plead the blood. Or maybe just say, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I agree, in Jesus' name. Because of the spiritual warfare. Well, In this era that we're living in, our Lord Jesus Christ has provided for us. And we have a trifold concept. Let me me just take time. I was going to skip it, but it's too important for the day and hour we're in. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Write this scripture down. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Here it comes, three of them. And now abideth number one, faith. Number two, hope. Number three, charity. Look what the Bible said. These what? These three. But the greatest of these is charity or love. The Greek word is love. And so God's saying, You are in this world, but you're not of this world. There is darkness and there is depravity. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be nervous. You don't have to help God hold the world together tonight. You can go home and eat Briar's ice cream and watch Andy. I mean, you can. And you can relax. You can sit on your porch, watch the sun go down and and thank God for his blessings. Why? Because I abide in faith, I abide in hope, and I abide in the love of God. That he's given to me. This trifold concept. And he abides in us. And I have that comfort. And you abide in him. Well, uh, we talked about time a moment ago, right? Past, present, and what? Future. So how long is he going to abide with me? How long will he walk with me and talk with me? Well, according to the word of God, he'll walk with me and talk with me in the morning. He'll walk with me at noon and he'll walk with me at night. He's a 24-7 God. He's always there. Three ways, morning, noon, night, past, present, future. You see how God tied this Trinity all through this love and care? Oh yeah, and he gave us a three-part benediction. This 1 Corinthians 13, 3, this faith, hope, and charity. And now about a faith, hope and charity, these three. Hold your finger there. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 14. And here's our benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one. Number two, and the love of God. Number three, and the communion of the Holy Ghost. 
What did I just read to you? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. All of them are in that benediction. The love of God, the grace of Jesus, and the communion of the Holy Spirit of God. God said, don't be afraid. When the raging begins, you're in the care of the Most High God. We can be comforted and we can be counseled and we can be caressed by the promises that are found in the Word of God. Why do the heathen rage? Because they have a fallen nature. Why do the heathen rage? Because they're rebelling against God. Why do the heathen rage? Because they want to bring glory and honor to the devil, to Lucifer, to Satan. And they had rather turn their back on God than to walk in faith with God. And because of that, there will be a threefold judgment. And we'll talk about the next time we get together. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Father, that there's comfort today for the family of faith. Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know you in the free pardon of sin, I pray this will be the day of salvation. If there's one listening online that's discouraged and afraid, may the fear be rebuked. The spirit of fear is not of the Lord. May they know that the raging of this world will soon fade away with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we love each other like never before. May we pray one for another. May we encourage one another. Thank you for the word and the power of your word. We give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.